If you're going to evaluate creative, you need to do it from the lens of the consumer, not the lens of self. Quite frankly, I don't give a shit if you don't like red or you don't like that music or that font. We're talking not to you, we're talking to the consumer. Welcome to Building Better CMOs, a podcast about how marketers can get smarter and stronger. I'm Greg Stewart, CEO of the nonprofit MMA Global. And that voice you heard at the top is Aaron North, the CMO and commercial owner of the prepaid wireless brand, Mint Mobile. Now, Aaron has way more power than a lot of marketing leaders. He is the single person accountable for the business performance of Mint. It's been a busy year for him. In March, T-Mobile said it would acquire Mint's parent company, Kayana Corporation, for up to $1.35 billion. Aaron's past roles before Mint include Young and Rubicam, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. Today on Building Better CMOs, Aaron and I are going to talk about letting the best idea win, why marketers have lost sight of a key part of the process, and why your opinion of a product as a marketer just really doesn't matter. Now stick around to the end because Aaron has a burning hot take on why AI is overhyped. This podcast is all about the challenges that marketers face and unlocking the true power that marketing can have. Aaron North from Mint Mobile is going to tell us how he did that right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aaron North, welcome to Building Better CMOs today. Thank you very much, Greg. Good to see you. Good, good, good. Where did I catch you in the world today? Where are you? Well, I'm on a little vacation out in Palm Springs, California. And because we're a work from anywhere workforce, you know, you just bring the laptop with you and you could keep going. Oh my God. Don't you love that about today? I don't, you know what I don't know? I don't know why I don't take more advantage of that. Like I, I, for some reason saw a YouTube video come up on my feed last night. It was about digital natives working out of Bali. I mean, I I don't really think I could do that, but it was very, I watched the whole damn video for some unknown reason. (laughs) I I mean, if you can handle the time change, that sounds pretty incredible to me. I think that's it. I think I just didn't really think it through. But look, we're a couple of ex-agency guys. We're used to working all night. Maybe we really messed up here. Maybe that's really what we could do. That's for damn sure. I know that'd be sort of crazy. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining us here. And for the listener, just in case you didn't sort of catch it, uh, Aaron here is actually now. So you're chief marketing officer and commercial owner at Mint Mobile. That's your exact title, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So what's the commercial owner part mean? What, is, what does that mean? That seems unusual. The fastest way to summarize what commercial owner means is I am the single person accountable for the business performance. And yeah, you combine that piece 
with the marketing component. And I think you really have the recipe for what a direct-to-consumer business and brand should be all about, right? Like you still have major accountabilities and partnerships with your CEO and your CFO, but so often, and I've read numerous articles where it feels like the marketing side has to constantly defend what they're doing because there's no business accountability. And in my role, I have absolute business accountability to the organization. So I am what we call the CO and the CMO of Mint. So certainly marketing would be a huge driver what the Mint mobile business is from a business performance. What else is included in that? I mean, you're not manning a store. Or, correct, or correct. You're not running a team, maybe, I don't know, you're running teams of commercial, other salespeople involved. How does that work with your business? Broadly speaking, and you'll hear, because the way we've done this is obviously custom to us. So you'll hear hints of marketing in the commercial owners aspect of the business. But again, that's because it's a D2C business. So it's forecasting and budget, but not just the marketing forecast and budget, but subscriber growth, churn, channel compensation, retention budgets, like retail offers, strategic planning for the business, business analysts, analysis and tracking, partner management. And that's not just agencies and advertisers, but other critical partners, you know, critical business analytics, we use the Looker platform. So as it turns out, I am the number one consumer inside our organization of Looker dashboards. And I'm constantly looking at business dynamics, whether it's growth. We have not sub-brands, but we have offerings that are quite a bit different. So we have family plans. We have the various types of wireless plans within our business. I'm looking at Mix, Mix Shift, uh, Longevity, LTV, et cetera, et cetera. So it is basically the whole consumer and the whole subscription business, as well as the marketing performance angles as well. And just for the listener, what's the Looker platform, just so everybody knows? Uh, Looker is a, basically a data visualization software. So, you know, you've got oodles and oodles of data now. And the Looker platform is specifically built for our business analytics. So our enterprise information management team inside, which is a really robust group, is constantly looking at subscriber performance is the way I would describe it. So what happens to customers after they come to Mint Mobile and how are they behaving? And I'm not looking at minutes of use or data, things like that. I'm talking about like longevity, things like that. So I have about 11 dashboards up and each morning I refresh them all and I air quote, read the news. So I know <laughs> what's happening within the business. And I often talk about this is because it's such an immense amount of data that I say, I don't see the code anymore. I just see the matrix. So I can go in there every morning, read through the dashboards and get a really good lens of what's happening within my business. And if there are any anomalies or deviations, I can react very quickly and get information directed to me. If, is there something happening within the business that's going to take immediate attention? You know, this is kind of interesting, Aaron. In fact, I didn't even expect to have this kind of conversation with you, but it, it's somewhat unusual for the CMO to have that kind of business responsibility. I, I don't know that I hear that from everybody. Yeah, it is quite a bit different. I, I like to use both the right side and left side of my brain. Um, you know, there's a lot of math that goes into marketing nowadays. There's a lot of science and there's also a ton of creativity. I don't want to discount the creative side. We sort of started the conversation here, but I am incredibly passionate about brand as well. And I think 
I'm not a unique marketer from the standpoint of having both uh, an MBA and having passion for the creative side, but I spent half my career at agency, half my career client side, and the agency really you know, sharpens your marketing and creative chops. And then I went out and got my MBA to really make sure I was smart and savvy on the business side. You know, I don't love reading financial statements, but I can. <laughs> I know just enough to make me dangerous. But I find that particularly in a D2C business, you are constantly marrying math, science. We use a phrase that came from my time at Taco Bell. It's sales overnight, brand over time. So how are you managing both? And then within sales overnight, of course, that gets more sophisticated when you're looking at pay before the sale, advertising, classic brand, media, and then pay after the sale, which could be your affiliate or performance partnerships and angles in that way as well. And I definitely want to get to the whole brand side. And you're right. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that today and the importance of that. But um, you didn't come in there as a CMO. You came in, I guess, a rung below CMO. Eventually got appointed to that role. Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I was recruited to join as the SVP of marketing. And the task for me was to build a professional marketing organization inside this company. And at the time, it's such a fun story. I was getting recruited out of Taco Bell and I said, look, I've got arguably the second best job at Taco Bell, the sports and music guy had the best job. I mean, I love sports. I love music. And he was going to everything. But I said, I, I just can't see myself leaving. And they said, well, how would you like to build a marketing department for the fastest growing company in America? And I couldn't believe the fastest growing company in America was right down the street in Costa Mesa. So Ultra Mobile was the flagship brand at the time. I came in and on day one was presented sort of the blueprint, if you will, or basically a website that was going to be Mint Mobile. It was called Mint Sim at the time. And I said, oh, this is incredibly interesting. Unfortunately, this is never going to work the way you've laid it out. There's no chance this succeeds. <laughs> and Wait, was this day one, week one, or month one? It was literally day one. Okay. And I was meeting with the president and our head of the agency and I started the same day. Her name is Tanya Song. Tanya and I were laughing because she's like, are you going to make it to day two? Like, that's really bold on day one to say, hey, this thing you've been working on has no chance. But we didn't even have like a fiery printer at the time. But what were you convinced was wrong though? What, what did you like immediately look at that and say, this is all wrong? Was it the name Mint Sim that you went after? Or I'm not no, sure. no. The consumer proposition was, was nowhere to be found and unclear. So I printed the website out, taped it up on a wall and just red penned the whole thing. It was very confusing. It was, I don't want to call it haphazard, but it was non-linear. It didn't make a lot of sense. I couldn't understand what the consumer benefit was what the consumer proposition was. And more importantly, I didn't know what you wanted me to do once I got to the homepage. So I immediately dove in and said, what I got so excited about was nobody was selling wireless on the internet. And I kept saying and pounding this mantra for years, do you believe there will be less digital transactions tomorrow or more digital transactions tomorrow? And of course, Nobody will say less. Yeah. So I, I was looking at this and going, yeah, the answer is obvious, right? Yeah. Holy shit. This is a big idea. And then it became, well, everybody who has ever done it has failed and we're going to try and do it and be successful. And I think 
I'll be honest, one of the things I think that really set me on a course to success here was having never worked in wireless before. So I was able to come into this category and view with a lens, like a very fresh lens and say, well, why are we doing things this way? Oh, it's always been done that way before. I'm like, well, let's break that rule. Let's break that tradition. Let's be the quite literal disruptor of the space. And of course, now today, you can buy wireless online with every brand. Every brand has created flanker brands, and you'll see imitators all over the place of Mint Mobile. Okay, so was Alta was, you know, it was a low-end service phone, as I recall, Ul- right? Ultra. Ultra, sorry, 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 Ultra. It was a prepay, I assume, right, for, Correct. you know, and that was sold just in retail at the time, Is that, or was that yeah. sold also direct? And then Mint was the one to be sold direct. Is that what you're saying was the difference? Correct. So it's really interesting. I came in and like I said, Ultra was the fastest growing private company in America. And what Ultra did that was great was it sold wireless, obviously prepaid wireless, to the immigrant diaspora in America. And what Ultra's secret sauce was one touch international dial. So you used to call a number on a calling card, then call the number you wanted to call. Ultra put everything like that into a wireless plan so you could just dial international and then had just incredible rates. So Ultra was famous for the $19 per month plan that allowed you to call up to 80 destinations internationally for free. And Mint was to be the the DTC version in in some regards. It was just different. Is Is that what that was? Yeah. So Mint very much was a domestic business. So a business that was predicated on within the United States, talk, text and data and sold exclusively online. We still don't own a single retail store. We are sold in some major big box carriers like Best Buy and Target, but we don't own a single store. Hey, Aaron, I got to come back to one thing. So why did you go there if you didn't believe in what they were doing or how they went at it? <laughs> well, well, no. So I, I got brought in to yeah. build Ultra and okay. build the marketing department for Ultra. And then I, oh. like on day one, was presented Mint Sim. And I was like, oh, okay. uh, this is crazy interesting, but I don't think we're going about it the right way. And I shaped it and was able to help build it into something with a team that is phenomenal today. It's like the preeminent D2C brand in the wireless space. And I'd argue we have one of the best D2C engines in all of direct-to-consumer. Yeah. Yeah. And so interesting, by the way, the thing that I think all entrepreneurs really want to do is to build something of value, create value from nothing, and somebody gets to put a price on it, which T-Mobile has now done because they're in the process of buying Mint Mobile, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Congratulations. That's a very big deal. I am a huge, having come from the Valley myself, and been around a lot of entrepreneur business. I just love the idea of that concept of like, what am I doing to create value? And then somebody gets to sort of say they think they can either do more or just wants to buy it for whatever reason. That's great. Congratulations there. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well, listen, let's get to the big topic here, though. So let's get to the core of what Building Better CMO is all about. So let me step this way. You know, listen, marketing is a bit of an imperfect science. It's changing a lot. There's a lot of questions out there about uh, where we're going as a business. In fact, I I think it's as dynamic today as it was back when I started in the agency business back in, in the 90s. I mean, it's just dramatically, it just feels like it's just an unrelentingly changing business today. And But in some, as I always like to ask guests, especially people who have been successful in some regard, like you have, what do you think in your experience in the longstanding time that you've had in marketing and advertising, 
what do you think the business doesn't get? What do you think other, maybe either other CMOs or markers don't get? Like if you were to put a fine tooth focus on it, what does that look like? What do you think is most important for them to keep the eye on the ball that we don't fully get now? This is the opening line on my resume. <laughs> we were talking about coming to Mint Mobile. I went and pulled it up and it's that I believe great marketing, great advertising, great communication starts with a single human truth known as an insight. I feel like today marketers have lost sight of this, like a human truth or an insight is where you need to start before you begin your marketing campaign. We use a thing called an integrated communications brief, and it starts with what is the habit perception belief I am trying to build, change, or reinforce. That is the centerpiece of what you are doing with marketing. And the most critical nucleus within that is the insight. People need to answer the insight or know clearly what the insight is. And for Mint, for a long, long time, it's how can it be any good if it's this cheap? It's the classical colloquialism of you get what you pay for. Yeah, right. yeah. And so that's what you felt like you most needed. That, that was the consumer's predisposed opinion. How do you overcome that? And if you didn't overcome that, then the whole business is toast at some level, I guess. Absolutely. Right. Because if you can't get people over that mental hurdle, they have no chance. Like you might be able to get them, you know, a trigger. They might see the brand, but they won't go into active evaluation or any of those next steps. We need, we need them to sign up and get the damn thing delivered to home. Yep. Got it. Correct. So I feel like most marketers today just start doing work and just making ads or creative or whatever sort of haphazardly without understanding what they're solving for and without an understanding of what the consumer is trying to overcome in their mind. And I think it's super exciting that like anybody can advertise today, right? So with the yeah. social media platforms and your ability to buy ads <laughs> right from your laptop and have a media budget and things like that, anybody can be an advertiser. But what it's really done is it's produced a ton of shit and I yeah. got to call it like it is. There's so much junk garbage marketing out there today. My social media feeds are full of it. I like to go into the work and go, okay, I'm looking at this. What is the insight they're solving for? And oftentimes you can't figure, there is no insight. And I think the second biggest problem we have in marketing today is the marketer themselves. And that is people within marketing organizations or marketing groups believing their opinion matters and their opinion is a personal <laughs> input on the creative process. And I love this. Exactly. I, yeah. Oh I, my God. If I think I like the product, I'm very suspicious of what my conclusion is. Absolutely. If I feel attached to the product that I'm trying to work for and I have an idea, I'm like, mm, let's go check and make sure because I don't want to bank this whole thing just because I've got a random dumbass opinion at whatever age and whatever socioeconomic profile I am, that's just probably not the customer. Right? right. You have, first off, if you're going to evaluate creative, you need to do it from the lens of the consumer, not the lens of self. And we train this. We talk about this all the time within our groups, whether that be the brand marketing team or the direct to consumer team or the retention team, we are always talking about the lens of the consumer. And you have to do that because quite frankly, I don't give a shit if you don't like red or you don't like that music or that font. We're talking not to you. We're talking to the consumer. So yeah. separate yeah. yourself 
and put yourself in the lens of the consumer. Now give me constructive, strategic, creative feedback that will add a penny to the brand bank or will add more transaction volume to the program. That is it. Now, I think I read somewhere or heard you somewhere in another podcast say that there was no research department when you showed up at Mint. Correct. Share with the listener here a little bit about how you figured out to get to the insight that you did. You know, what's the insight you were solving for? I mean, how did you know? Because at some level, that does sound intuitively correct to me, what you said. I don't know if it's the number one objective, or I wouldn't be able to bridge it. But how did you get to that as an insight and then know that was the insight to bet? And then at some point, I'm going to talk to you about how you saw that. We'll do that sort of later on. But I, I just, how did you get to that insight? I mean, when I was at Taco Bell, the head of consumer insights at Taco Bell, his name was Tom Wagner, Wags as we call him. Wags used to drill this into us time and time and time again that all of our marketing needed to be insight based. And Taco Bell launches a new product roughly every six weeks. So you are constantly mining and we call it, there's the five whys. You just keep asking why until you get to the root or the core human truth. And Wags would continue to push us, push us, push us. So when I joined Mint, as you noted earlier, there wasn't a fully developed marketing team. So I used to hop on the train from Orange County down to San Diego and spend the day with Tom and we would just whiteboard session. What is Mint doing? He was not in the wireless category. I had never been in the wireless yep. category. Yep. And he kept asking questions, questions, questions. Ultimately, we ended up hiring Tom as a consultant and he helped me build the consumer insights group we have here today. But Tom is still on my team and a trusted, trusted voice that I look to a lot. And we just kept digging and digging and digging until we found out what it was. You know, with a digital business, you're able to do things that allow you to test. When we started, I told you, Ultra was the fastest growing company in America, okay? Mint was an idea that nobody had ever been able to do, sell wireless online. So the company resources were very much focused early on on Ultra, which is what you should do. But what I was able to do with the marketing department was really start testing messaging. And we tested, 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 and then retested, tested, tested until we really keyed in and had the proof we needed that this is the right insight. This is the place we want to develop work around. And the performance of the brand and the transaction performance is telling us that. And then we just went all in. We didn't have a research department. It's very small today, but we do measure once, then cut. But the great thing about a D2C brand is that you can be out there and you can test and fail infinitely and it won't destroy your business. You just test small, yeah. you fail small. And yeah. we're, I'm a huge fan of failure. Everybody on my team, the marketing group is over 130 people now. And I pound it into them that if we aren't failing, we aren't trying hard enough because I want people who are going to push, push, push the limit and push the boundaries. So I tell them that sort of the, the lens that they need to work through is we fail small, we fail fast, we fail cheap, and we fail forward. And you're not really failing at that point. You're learning. Yeah. And failure is really, you know, a synonym for risk here, right? Like that's really what I'm talking about is I want small calculated risk all over the place. And then when something works, we invest heavily in scale. And that has been sort of the Mint Mobile way. 
How far can you go to actually assessing that as a DTC? Are you going all the way through sign up? Are you going all the way through lifetime value? Are you just, you're not looking at just click throughs, obviously, in ads. I, I hope not, right? No. And one of the things I was a huge and still am a huge proponent of is that you have to measure what is appropriate, right? So we didn't start with television. Television came years later. But I was very, very clear to both the television agency and my D2C team. The job of TV is not to sell product. How can you expect one 30 second spot or one 15 second spot to get someone through the entire consumer decision journey? The object or the, the objective of TV is to get someone interested. So we look at Google search query, we look at interest, we look at website hits, but I don't expect the television spot to then be judged on a person's ability to go through the purchase funnel on the website. That's a gross inaccurate way to measure efficacy. So we measure based on its objective. And yes, so when we're doing testing, I'm testing the ability of a message to drive a click to the website or the message to drive a Google search query. So you're not evaluating, how do you evaluate your TV creative then eventually? How do you know that that's sort of doing the job that you needed to? Are you pre-testing those ads or are you? Absolutely not. I hate pre-testing <laughs> and I hate consumer groups. I mean, I love consumers, but like, give me a break. They know they're looking at work and evaluating it. Marketers are looking at what they're saying. So what we do is, I mean, I think this is the job of the marketer is to look at the television before it goes on air and make sure it's good, right? Like you have to have a gut instinct. But the way we test it is we run television spots and we have an excellent agency partner who they actually brought this to us. This is why we selected them is the TV spot runs. They are able to measure search queries and interest on the internet within a two minute attribution window of each airing. So okay. we use that. Yeah. And then today, because of connected TV and because of just video on demand platforms and of course YouTube, we will run spots and we will we will get an analytics package there. But we'll also look at analog television if there is such a thing versus connected TV versus video on YouTube. And we'll evaluate because we have some spots that perform much differently on a big screen TV during a football game yep. versus someone watching on their Android or iPhone device, seeing a YouTube pre-roll on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. So we do constantly measure, but we measure within realms that evaluate the vehicle itself. So can I take it then that you're not a big fan of influencers coming up with ads, the creator economy influencer dynamic? Absolutely not, because I have arguably the biggest influencer on the planet. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is an owner, so huge fan of influencer well, creator. Right, but he also but he also runs an agency. So let's assume that he's also part advertising guy. It's not he's not just, you know. Yeah, I I I mean no, we, we still use micro-influencer and it is something we're, we're always testing, ABT, but you, always be but testing. But you were saying earlier that social media ads that, you know, aren't really done well. You can tell they're not really done with an insight. There's a lot of garbage out there. So maybe, maybe I misunderstood where you were going with that. Talk, well, talk that's because that. I don't think people are being briefed properly. Oh, so okay, okay, when okay, we okay. work with micro-influencers or folks like that, what we will do is I like to work with people as if they're a partner in my business. So if we're going to work with you, I'm not going to give you a blank page assignment. I'm going to share with you what's happening in our business, what we're trying to solve for, 
And then I give them an ICB, an integrated communication brief that outlines what we're looking for. And I think that gives them, look, I'll be honest with you. I think creatives love a well-defined box. They want to know what the box is. They want it clearly articulated. Then let them create freely within that box. Yeah, Do okay. not like, like to me, that is sort of like secret sauce, if you will, right? Really define the issue, then let them be as creative as they want to solve the issue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, I think that's what most people, a lot of people have understood or misunderstood about advertising marketing over time is that, you know, there is a, I don't, know, I don't need to just relate it to a science, but there's, it's not just coming up with clever. It really is tying it specifically to what the consumer insider knowledge would be. I mean, listen, there's two things you have to get right. You have to get the right strategy which is what your insight part was all about. You got to get the right strategy. If you don't have that, that shows. And then you have to figure out how to communicate that clearly. Those are equally difficult tasks to come up with. And I think what you were saying earlier, if I heard Jaron, is that people, too many marketers, I think sometimes neglect the necessity for that two-stage process, I guess. I'm not sure that's, I'm putting, not, don't mean to put words in your mouth, but yeah. I could not agree more. I think you've nailed it like bullseye. Yeah. No, we'd see too many things. Like we did, uh, I did a bunch of work for uh, Colgate a number of years ago. And what they did is um, they had a thing. This is, it's been, it's been 20 years here, so it's way past its prime, but um, they did a thing. If I remember it right, they had the right strategy. Like it made a lot of sense. And we were able to sort of evaluate that and know it. But what they did is I, if I remember right, they put people in like white lab coats and it just reinforced, you know, how negative we are about our teeth sometimes and sort of the process of dentists and went with that. And the ads failed. They didn't figure out how to communicate properly what was otherwise arguably the right strategy at that time they determined. So some of that, it's, it really is a two-part thing, which is what you're saying. Then the creative need for how to take that strategy and really communicate that powerfully. And that is, that is both the art and science of great communications. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this with Aaron North. Thanks for listening to Building Better CMOs. If you have a second, I'd like to ask a quick favor. Take your phone out and share this episode with someone else. It's all about making marketers better. You could text it to a coworker or a friend, easy. Or you can post it on LinkedIn and tell people why you liked it. There's one other thing that you can do to help Building Better CMOs, and that's to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. There's a link to do it in the show notes. However you support us, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Greg Stewart. Now back to the show. This is Building Better CMOs. Let's get back to my conversation with Aaron North, the CMO of Mint Mobile. I think you also have a thing too that you do. Aren't you always bringing your teams into something about a thing called jump ball where you bring the teams into come up with creative ideas? Is that what you're doing there? Yeah. Jump ball is a concept Again, shamelessly stolen from Taco Bell. Uh, Fair enough. Listen, there's a lot of great CMOs and great marketers that come out of Taco Bell. Some of the best marketers and CMOs I know who sit on the board of the MMA come out of Taco Bell. So I, yeah, it's a great- I agree. It was great, yeah. Before we get to Jump Ball, I think there's two types of companies. There are companies that make products and do marketing, and then there are marketing companies that have products. My opinion is that Taco Bell was a marketing company that had products. You'll often hear same eight ingredients mixed 200 different ways, you know, but like (laughs) with us and wireless, it's colorless, odorless, tasteless. I mean, it's airwaves, right? It's, it's talk, texting. Can someone please 
physically manifest talk, text, and data in a way where I can smell it, touch it, eat it. No, it just works. So what we do is we are very much marketing driven. And I feel like because of that, you take a different lens on how you bring the product to market. That is a quick predecessor of Jump Ball. But what Jump Ball was is that Taco Bell, you know, every company launches big products, medium products, small products. Taco Bell was launching some of the biggest products in its history while I was there. We launched okay. the Doritos Locos Taco. We launched Breakfast. Um, we repositioned the core brand. So we moved from the archetype of Jester to the archetype of Explorer. And that manifested itself with the new tagline, Live Moss. And with these big, huge programs, we did this thing called Jump Ball. And what that was at Taco Bell was we would bring in all of our agency partners, brief them, and allow sort of like the best idea to be the leading idea for the campaign. So I, I bastardized it, bringing it to Mint and Ultra. And what we do here is our media team is looking to solve they need creative for specific media challenges, right? So what we'll do is we'll work with our media team and the media team clearly identifies these are the challenges we have, whether it be platform, whether it be vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. We take that, we brief the entire agency, okay. right? So that includes everyone, animators, okay. copywriters, art directors, yep. it doesn't matter, everybody gets involved. And then we say, here's the brief, You all get a number, like literal basketball player for a jump ball. You all get a number. Nobody knows who you are. And you get to submit work that is not reviewed by your supervisor or by the creative director. It is your raw, unfettered idea. And let the best idea win. Okay. Now, who's the panel? Who's the judge and jury on this kind of thing? Is that you and a couple of others or? No. The customer is the media team. The media team is giving the feedback. Now, look, the media team, my head of media has been with me for seven years. She gets it. She gets brand. She knows what we're doing. I mean, she helped co-author the program we're building today. So, And then before the final work goes out, of course, we will have the brand marketing team take a look at it to make sure. But she's so good that she knows the brand. Watch out for this pitfall. Watch out for this. So she's constantly pushing, but we let the customer decide what ad wins. And she gives feedback, like speed round feedback. So our goal was to get, and this was an eight week process, 100 new ads for various platforms and programs. Okay. Yeah, big ask. Well, we delivered over 400 because we like to hire a different type of employee within the marketing group. We like to hire what I call killers, right? These are people who are fiercely competitive, excellent at their job, don't like to lose. Like it's just a different breed. And what ended up happening with Jump Ball, and I mean, I know people can't see me, but I hope they hear the smile on my face because this <laughs> I am I am fiercely competitive. I hate losing. I can't stand it. And I've got a team of people who are like that. And what ended up happening is in the initial couple rounds of Jump Ball, there were winners and losers. The people who air quote lost were furious. And all they kept doing was asking questions on why they lost. So it wasn't just the immediate feedback. We held feedback sessions early on Uh that really explained why we were saying no. And what we saw was 
an optimization within the own creative team where people just started tinkering and tuning. And we didn't get a lot of winners in the very first jump ball, but towards the end, we were posting W's left and right. And that's how we got to this giant number of ad units that ended up being in creative. And I was so happy. And look, not everything is a jump ball. You'll kill your teams with all this extra work, but they are clamoring now for jump balls. They're like, when's the next big program coming? Cause uh-huh. we want to jump ball this. We don't want this specific team to solve the problem. We all want to have a chance at oh, having what? work go out. So yeah, it's become this amazing thing we do inside our, our office now. Would you off the top of your head know what was the best jump ball? I mean, either here or maybe at Taco Bell, is there one that kind of one or two, maybe stand out? It doesn't have to be the best one ever. Just a couple that really caught your attention around that ideas that came out that maybe wouldn't have come out of even your agency or something, or I don't know. This, you'll love this. We're an exclusively digital brand who goes very analog during the holidays. We send our customers a holiday card, like an actual in the mail with a stamp holiday card. So every year we send the holiday card. We've done it ever since Ryan became an owner in the business. I don't want to pat myself on the back. It was an idea I had when we were much smaller. I just thought it would be fun. And it really was a stolen idea from Southwest that used to send a happy birthday card. I'm like, you know, we don't know everybody's birthday. So we'll do holiday. It'll be great. So start as a holiday card. And then we started adding like a little Cracker Jack gift, if you will, in the holiday card. And... Last year we did it and there was a temporary tattoo included in it. And this year I challenged the team to come up with an idea like what would this Cracker Jack toy be? And the idea that one was an Orna Mint. And we are including in the holiday card a little die cut assemble yourself mini cell phone like a paper cell phone ornament. And that idea came out of a jump ball session, which was, hey, we're doing the holiday card again this year. What should go in with the holiday card? The reason I chose that one is it's so brand, right? Like we've been talking about analytics and marketing and science and math and insight. This is pure creative, just a beautiful, fun piece. Put a penny in the brand bank, have fun with it. And that was really, that was an output of a a jump ball program. I like Um, that. I like that. Do you remember what department came up with that by chance or no? A copywriter. A copywriter came up with that idea. I always want to know who came up with the idea because I love giving credit where credit is due. And I love giving the accolade and publicly thanking them so much for all the hard work. And I think that's the kind of culture we have here is we like to really give credit where credit is due. So Tim Heckman, if you're listening, nice job. Way to go, Tim. We're all very, your, your mother and father and I are all very proud of you. <laughs> hey, um, hey, I got a funny one for you. Just, I don't know if you know, part of your communications here, part of what you said today and sort of your thesis around sort of the power of brand, the value of brand. Do you guys know like how many sales you develop off of a brand ads? And you do do a fair number of brand ads. I've, I've seen the ads on YouTube and, and other places. I would argue that every ad we do is a brand ad. Uh, okay. I, I, I like to okay. look at it that way, but I, I know where you're headed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking kind of a video TV, classic TV kind of way, you know, like, do you have an idea yeah. what, the, what the sales produced off a of brand ad are? We do to some degree. And the reason I know that is the way we introduced broadcast into our marketing toolkit was we only introduced, like everything was the same. We introduced broadcast and we saw the lift. So yeah, oh, I know yeah. generally how much it is, 
but um, and we're evaluating oh, bro- it broadcast all the time. affects all other channels too. I mean, that's the if, you're, yeah, if you have any direct it, marketing background, you realize that 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 it does that right. A hundred percent. And when we launched broadcast, the way I did it, and this is a good, you know, I mean, this is very obvious, I think, but for folks who may are thinking about going into TV, the way we did it was we kept everything constant. We added broadcast. We had a eight week flight. And then we turned it off and just watched what happened. And what we oh, found was wow. that the day we started TV was not the day we saw an increase in sales volume or transaction volume. It took some time. And then we saw the lift start. And then after we turned TV off, we did not see an immediate attrition. We saw like a foxtails, what we call it, you know, just a slow decay over time. So then I was able to do some simple mathematics and understand what was TV bringing to the program. And I'll tell you, I did it that way because I had a hard lesson learned maybe six months before that, where I launched three new tactics at once and we saw a huge pop in the business and everybody was like, wow, what did it? And I go, uh, don't know. So I was really upset with myself and I promised myself I would never learn that lesson again. And then four years later, I learned it again. So my team was quick to point out like, Aaron, what are you doing? You've made the same mistake twice. And I go, oh, come on. There's four years in there. Give me a break. But that is something we've ingrained in all the team is that if we're testing something new, make sure you've isolated the test so you can see the impact. But yeah, TV's massive. It was a huge bump for us, but you know, a relatively small piece of our budget goes into analog TV or traditional TV. Just because, you know, there is something to be said if you're a digital business that's a transactional, the digital transaction and being one click away from the website versus a Google search and a query. Hey, hey, Aaron, let's shift degrees here a little bit, because I always like to talk to, um, you know, CMOs, you know, listen, you've gotten to the C-suite of your company. And, you know, I have a thesis that a lot of people either don't, listen, you're a competitive guy, so let's assume you were always aimed that way, right? But um, but I think a lot of people underestimate how much work and energy is taken to get there, how much energy and work and effort and sort of thoughtfulness it takes to stay in those roles. I mean, you have to really read the room. There's a bunch of things that have to happen. So talk to me a little bit, just sort of lessons you might have for others who might want to become, you know, a C-suite executive or a CMO in your, as, as is your case. Well, I think you have to have a thirst for knowledge and always want to be improving yourself. The journey to the C-suite, you're right. Uh, this is something I've always wanted. And the challenge I had, so I started my career 10 years agency side, various agencies. Me too. 10 years agency side. Agreed. Yep. And it's hard. I mean, I've been away from it for 12 years now and 10 years agency, it's been 12 years client, but it's hard. It's really hard. And you get to be with creative and you get to be with strategy at a volume that really helps you learn the power of creativity, the power of strategy. And I think the challenge for me was that I was always a person who is providing a recommendation or trying to exert influence. The switch when you go client side is now you make the decision. And I actually had some paralysis when I went to Taco Bell the first six months in, but I was like three months and then my boss yelled at me. <laughs> I told her, I go, these decisions are so huge, right? Cause I, I made an offhand comment that like this taco needs more cheese. And somebody was like, hey, dummy, 
you're going to cost the company $12 million by that extra pinch of cheese. Like keep your mouth shut. And like that really, (laughs) that wrecked me because I didn't understand. I went in not haphazard, but the scale of your decision was massive. And my boss ended up yelling at me and say, look, you've got excellent instinct. Use it. Like stop second guessing yourself. Hmm. But I'll tell you the trick for me, you've got to have a thirst for knowledge. And I think depending on what your business within you're in, I, I think you need both the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. So in my okay. career, I started in the creative side. I mean, at agency, creative really rules the roost. Yep. So I was very much into creative, appreciating creative, how to like work with teams to get the best creative. And during that, I also went out and got my MBA with, believe it or not, focus on marketing and entrepreneurship. That really gave me sort of the mathematical lens I needed to be smart in making business decisions. I also started my own business and it failed, but that was my PhD. But when I got to the client side, I was able to really meld creative with business acumen to get the end result we all want, which is both sales overnight brand over time. And then fast forward to coming to Ultra and building Mint Mobile, that has been, I think, one of the key secrets to my success in getting to this chief marketing officer role was my ability to have both the business acumen and the creative side as well. And I'll tell you, the one thing I would tell everyone, 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 is that you cannot be successful in the CMO seat unless you have a great partnership with both the chief executive officer and the chief financial officer. Riz and David, David's the CEO and founder of our company. Riz is the CFO and co-founder. I love these guys. We work so tight together and I raise my hand when things fail and I have a super high degree of accountability for mistakes. The CEO and the CFO may not have marketing backgrounds or brand acumen. And if you're starting to do touchy feely metrics is what I call them, like the things that are hard for them to quantify. Yeah. Likes, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's hard for them to believe in marketing. So what I've been able to do is meld both sides of the equation, right? Brand and transactions. And when things don't work, raise my hand and go, Hey, I fucked up. Like this was a mistake and it was an error. And we've taken huge risk with Mint, huge risks with Mint, especially early on. And I told them if this fails, so before it failed and some of these things didn't, but before it launched, I said, if this fails, here's what we're going to do to rectify the failure. Here's the accountability I will take if it's wrong. And I have raised my hand and said, look, I made a mistake. My instincts and intuition led me down this road, but I messed up. And if you think you can do your job without making an error, you're fooling yourself here. So you're better off taking a high degree of accountability, fessing up to it, saying it was a mistake and moving on. Because what I realize is you develop so much credibility within the org, you end up getting a longer leash or more budget, whatever you want to do, what you're trying to solve for, because you've built trust. And that's really important anytime you're in any spot in the C-suite. You know, that's very interesting. I've not actually, I've asked this question a lot. I've not heard anybody say it quite the way that you just did there. And I will just say it happens to resonate with me a lot. I I think that um, 
I mean, listen, I have the title of CEO. So at the end of the day, it's not just playing homage to a, a, you know, a plaque on a wall that says, you know, the buck stops here. It's like, I actually think if, if I don't take the position that I'm accountable for everything, even the things I don't control, because the only thing I can change are those things. I can't change anything else. So I have to be 100% accountable. I have to act like my 100%. I have to take 100% accountability. I have to say that, yes, that I'm wrong. I called it wrong. I read it wrong. We didn't change fast enough, whatever it might be. Yeah, I, it's very right. But I don't hear a lot of people sort of orient that way. I agree with you. And I mean, I don't know it any other way. That's why I gave it to you that way. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually had to let somebody go the other day. It was about a couple of months ago and stuff. And I'd said, you know, listen, I, I need you to be a hundred percent responsible. And they kept coming back to saying it was somebody else's fault. And they said it three times. And I finally said, you know, listen, just if you're going to report to me and you know, I'm not here to judge or where else you're going to be, but if you're going to report to me, you have to have a hundred percent responsibility. And then they gave me a reason why they didn't. And I was like, okay, I mean, I think you're missing the point here. You know, like I just, I can't have you work because I don't, and it's just to your point. It's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't trust her at that point. I didn't and, trust and, that things would be okay. And I liked her, by the way. I liked what she did and how she was oriented and, and so on. But, you know, we had to part ways. Yeah. And that to me, so we have an accountability culture as well. And Probably stems from your CEO, I assume, right? Or, and I think within the marketing group from me, right? Like, yeah, like no, I know that that is really important to me and I want the team to do that as well. That's why I talked about risk and failure and all these things. I want people to know it's okay because you're not going to get in trouble. Like as long as we're talking about it honestly and openly, because yeah. I can't run a business with a bunch of question marks. I need to know what the truth is. And when you have the truth, you're able to make better business decisions. Like, honestly, that's really what this is about is good decision-making. And if people are open and honest and they feel safe, you have what you need to make good calls. I had a guy tell me when I, when I got to be an SVP within YNR, right? This is a lot of years ago. And so, I was, you know, SVP started to feel like a real title versus where I'd been before in agency world where they just hand out VPs all the time. And I said to my friend of mine, I says, I hope I'm smart enough to keep up. And he says, everybody at this level is smart enough. He goes, that's not the issue any longer. He says, you wouldn't have gotten here if you hadn't. He goes, now it's about keeping 51% of the vote. I always thought that was very interesting. And I think if I'm hearing the way you're playing the game, is that uh, you're very fixated on making sure you keep the support of your CEO and CFO in your ability to tell the truth and tell them where we're going, right? Absolutely. Did they give you the commercial owner title or did you ask for that kind of responsibility, by the way? I think it was grown into. I mean, okay. our, our business is a direct-to-consumer business. I built it from zero. And, you know, I didn't get it on day one, obviously I was at the company for a few years and then I got the CMO title and I just kept growing, growing, growing. And what we realized, I mean, my, my role here shifted a lot over the years. I was actually the CMO and commercial owner of both ultra and mint. And I'll tell you, this is a great story. Okay. So this is how accountable I am to myself and to the company. I was the CEO of both brands and a startup project we had, which I won't go into, but I was, it was too much. And I went to David and Riz and I said, look, this is a year ago. This is actually a year ago, November. I went to them and said, and it was in a PowerPoint. So bear with me. Uh, I go, look, I think the company is performing worse with me doing all of this. With me being the CEO of Ultra, 
the CEO of Mint, the CMO of Mint Ultra and everything else. I go, I think it, it, well, it is too much for me. Here's how I'm allocating my time. And here's what the company is, here is how the company is growing and benefiting from that. I think I'm not performing well enough for the company. So what I'm raising my hand for is I'm going to ask to do less. I think we should go find a CO for Ultra and take that accountability off of my plate because I don't think I am doing the job well enough. And look, that's a risky move to go to your boss and go take away accountabilities. I want less because, yeah, yeah, I mean, you narrow scope, you could narrow a lot of things that are sort of consequences of that. But to me, I said, I think that the company will grow faster, will grow healthier, and will be a better organization if I am more focused on Mint Mobile. And we made that shift and we made that switch. And I think, again, accountability culture, things like that, that the company benefits from by me taking a higher degree of accountability. And I had to deliver that message to the organization. I remember doing it because we do town halls where the entire company, because we got this distributed workforce, are on you know a big Zoom meet or whatever. And I had to tell the company, look, it's too much. I think we would be better of a company if I do less. And the crazy thing is, is we have Scott Venuti is now the commercial owner of Ultra Mobile. And I am servicing him from a marketing standpoint to make sure Ultra is growing. And as a result of me doing less, Mint is growing faster. Ultra is growing faster. The company is better for it. And that is sort of like a dream scenario for me. Love it. Love it. Wow. So it's nice to get approved. Okay, Aaron, this has been phenomenal. Let me do a couple of quick lightning round questions with you here. I don't know if we, I don't know if we sent these to advance, but you're, you're a smart, clever guy. You'll get there pretty quick. You ready? Okay. First one, who else in marketing can be a person or company but it's got, it can't be somebody who works at Mint. Can't, you know, get disassociated. It can't be Ryan. Okay. Who do you most admire in marketing? I love, 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 love what Liquid Death is doing. Oh my God. Somebody else just named them recently. Why? Yeah. Well, I've worked with Andy in the past. Um, uh-huh. So I think I cheated a little bit on your question, but uh, the uh-huh. creativity, the brilliance, they're selling canned water. Okay. Yeah. Canned water. <laughs> Right, like with well, the name with death in the title, with the right. product name, yeah, and that and a flaming great. skull as the <laughs> the logo, right? Like, but but think about how close that is to wireless. It's odorless, colorless, and tasteless. Like, but you can physically <laughs> manifest it. But I'm looking at a sink right now that's got water in it, and they're selling it for like one ninety nine or two ninety nine a can. But the marketing is exceptional. They're doing things. They're taking the haters and they're putting the haters front and center stage. They have fully embraced their brand, their position in the market. They are disrupting water. I love, 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 love what they're doing. It's my favorite thing is to see when they come out with something new. I I follow Andy on every social media platform and on LinkedIn, he's constantly posting the new work they're doing. And I love it. I just absolutely love it. And to see that brand skyrocket the way it has will tell you they're doing something really interesting. And it is about as anti Fiji, Aquafina, Dasani, purity <laughs> as you can get. I love it. 
<laughs> I love it. It's so funny. Somebody just quoted them the other day, too, for the same capacity. Okay, uh, next one here. What do you think is, listen, we already talked about what you think is underappreciated, so we've covered that. What do you think is overhyped in marketing today? Anything you like to pick on? You think, ah, oh, geez, we're just over our skis on this one. We've just gone too far. It's just it's probably not as big a deal as the wisdom of the crowd thinks so. Go. Two letters. AI. Really? You think it's overhyped? You got, yeah, absolutely. Look, so like, look, let's be honest, right? This is a really smart computer. Okay. That's what AI is. And I'm, uh, everybody right now is rolling their eyes and like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. We've just lost listeners. No, but like (laughs) for me, if you want advanced analytics, machine learning, yes, AI. But in the world of creativity, I believe that you need creatives. I trust human minds. I trust people coming up with beautiful art and creativity. I am not going to trust a machine. So I do not think artificial intelligence is going to take the seats of copywriters and art directors and things like that. Yeah, sure. I've seen some really neat animal morphestations of like the Egyptians <laughs> and these empires of the past. And that's that's clever. But there's no commercial reason for that other than to sell yeah. AI as a neat yeah. thing. So I, I think AI is way overhyped in the creative realm. That's fair enough. You know, it's interesting. I've often said, and, and by the way, my other podcast is Decoding AI for Marketing. So just FYI, we're, um, obviously I'm a fan. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think, no, no. It's a, what I think is interesting though, I tell you where I think AI, so I hear your point. I don't disagree with what you're saying, and I, I'm going to relate it back to your point. I think that what AI is unusual about, that we don't often see come around in business, is increased performance. By the way, we're doing a series of personalized ads using machine learning. In fact, we're using one hot encoding in K modes clustering. Beats the hell out of me what those are. I just know that the techniques we're doing to optimize the creative personalization of ads using contextual signal. And we're seeing unbelievable gains in performance, Aaron. Like it's crazy. Nothing like I've ever seen in my 30 plus years. We're seeing gains of two, three, maybe even as high as four X using these techniques. So it's at one place where something is so high in performance that builds so much revenue, but we're also lowering cost. And that usually doesn't happen. That's what makes it interesting. And what I think is interesting about your creative point, I, I gave a presentation to um, an A&A group, the CFOs of A&A. And I said, you assholes in procurement and CFOs are killing your business and you don't understand why. Because what you're in essence doing is you're reducing the power of creative. And if you reduce creative and its influence, you're going to ruin your business. It's a variation with the point you've gone down. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I am going to find said podcast and learn about K clustering or whatever you just said. Because I, I like, I don't want to. I, I will hey, never most, turn down what, four one X. hot encoding, one hot encoding and K modes clustering. Right? Yeah, Those are the I, I will send that podcast to our media team, and we will look at it as well. But because uh, I have four X, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fool, right? Like, I, yeah, like I said, yeah, yeah, performance, yeah. performance, and advanced analytics. Yes, but, but you tied AI to creative. That's where you said you think it can yeah. never go as far. And I'm not so sure. I, I don't know that you're wrong. I don't know that we're 100% right on that. It's the current state where you're for sure right. Long term, Right. I it's overhyped today. Because I, I think, I, I, I mean, look, I hear the rumblings of creative folks saying are, are, are jobs being lost. And I'm like, no, don't worry, not here. I, I don't see it yet. But I do want to always improve. So I want to learn about this. But yeah, I think AI taking the seat of a creative copywriter, an art director, a creative director, is we're not there yet. 
You're not there yet. No, no, no. We're still a long ways away. Okay, last last lightning round, then we'll then we'll wrap up here. Okay. What's the one thing that somebody listening to this can take away to be a better CMO? If you were to summarize that. I mean, you've kind of said it. it's a whole session, but Yeah. What's yeah. the one thing you would point them towards? I don't know. I, I have five I could list off of the things you said. But. I know. And and for me, I read a lot about how the tenure in the CMO seat is small. Apparently. And yeah. yeah I, I don't know if I believe it. Yeah, um, how long? How long have you been in the CMO spot there? Just to be clear, gosh, how long? I, I think it's been like four, four or five years? years. I don't know the exact date, but yeah. um, I think accountability because that is something that goes both up and down. Do you have accountability to your team down? You have accountability to the management team up. But I think accountability is probably the biggest thing that I would want CMOs to embrace because if you have a high degree of accountability, you get a high degree of credibility. And yeah. credibility is critical in this seat. It's capital in the bank. Yeah. So I, I would say accountability. So Aaron, Mint Mobile, congratulations. Congratulations on this sale to T-Mobile. I, like I, I said it earlier, I just, I love you built, you created value from nothing. In fact, in your case, you really did because you guys are, you're on somebody else's backbone. It's not like you installed a bunch of network, if I understand how the business works. That's correct. You really created value out of nothing and somebody put a big, giant billion dollar price tag on it. So congratulations. Well, well played, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Aaron North from Mint Mobile for coming on Building Better CMOs. Check the description of this episode for links to connect with Aaron. If you want to know more about MMA's work to unlock the power of marketing, visit MMAglobal.com. Or you can attend any of our 30 conferences in the 15 countries where MMA operates. Or just write me at greg at MMAglobal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tap the link in the description to leave us a review. And if you're new to the show, please follow or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links to all those places and more at bettercmos.com. Our producer and podcast consultant is Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Our project manager is Lily Mahoney. Artwork is by Jason Chase. And a very special thanks to Sarah Smith for pulling it all together. This is Greg Stewart. I'll see you in two weeks.